Hello there, I'm Craig Dixon and welcome to the latest edition of the Boudot Etc. podcast. In this episode, I'm going to talk about one of the more esoteric elements of Boudot, capo, or what I like to call the traditional art of martial first aid. But before we get into the bones of what capo is and isn't, pun intended, a little background and context. It's more than a century since the Japanese martial traditions were introduced to cultures beyond their country of origin. The more time that passes, and with each generation to generation transmission of knowledge that occurs, the more the various strategies and methods of the classical or traditional schools of bujutsu depart from their beginnings. And that's just evolution. It's natural, it's always been that way, and that's just the way that Budo has developed. And that evolution is something that I'll talk about in a future podcast. A capo is an example of an area where we just don't know through that evolution how much knowledge may have already been lost. Now, in part, this is because it wasn't widely taught in the first place, having usually been reserved to the most senior of students, but also because it's simply been superseded by modern methods. In early 2020, I dusted off a personal research project that I'd started a while ago on Capo, and I'd had so much interest from friends in the martial arts about what I was doing that I was eventually persuaded to distill some of what I'd discovered into a short book and to publish it. Now, I'd been lucky enough over the years to have been shown some capo methods way, way back in my training. But during the course of my amateur research, it struck me that there was very little information at all available in European language, certainly, and I'm not a native Japanese speaker. So what is kapo? Kapo is the name given to the traditional methods for dealing with injuries. And while it is sometimes simply referred to as resuscitation techniques, that isn't an entirely accurate translation or description. While it's not entirely analogous to its modern equivalent, in many ways kapo can be thought of as bygone martial arts first aid methods. Now the Japanese word itself, kappo, comes from the contraction of katsu, meaning resuscitation or life, and ho, meaning method. And kappo is also sometimes referred to as fukatsu, which means bringing back to life or resurrection. But as I'll talk about during the course of this podcast, uh, that's only really uh, part of what's involved when looking at the deeper elements of the subject matter. Now, I think it is generally accepted by those in the know that it was common for kapo to be taught to senior students of traditional Japanese martial arts schools or styles as effectively balancing elements to sappo or killing techniques. Now, while many combat techniques have been recorded, captured, systemized and preserved, over the years, the transmission of the methods of kapo has been in decline at least since the early 20th century. And kapo is now infrequently taught, very rarely in the West, even to higher level practitioners. 
Now, the term capo is generally extended beyond mere resuscitation techniques that can be used to, say, revive someone who has been rendered unconscious. And it goes further to applications that can be used to mitigate the effects of other types of injuries like groin trauma or nosebleeds. But I think to understand capo, the background is important. So I'll spend a few minutes just discussing that in very, very broad terms. Many of the classical or traditional schools of bujutsu or jujutsu that developed from the battlefields of Japan prior to the Edo period, which is 1603 through to 1867, contained both killing methods, sappo, and resuscitation methods, kappo. So collectively, these methods were known as sakapo, literally killing and resuscitation, or kasapo, resuscitating and killing methods. It doesn't really matter for our present purposes. The inclusion of kapo methods in traditional jiu-jitsu systems was often said to have been to compensate for or to balance out the other deadly elements that were necessarily present. And of course, the context is important because there wasn't ready access to doctors or medical attention in the way that we know in the modern era. There wasn't an ER just around the corner or within driving distance and you couldn't call for an ambulance to come and treat an injured party. So the methods were useful in the event of accidents that occurred either in training or during challenges, as well as potentially on the battlefield or in combat situations. You can see this very clearly when, for example, looking at some of the methods used for checking the mortality of a victim or a potential victim very carefully. And in doing so, the guidance being around remaining on guard so as to avoid being caught out by a combatant feigning injury, for example. As we know, during the relatively peaceful Edo period, some traditional or classical Japanese jiu-jitsu schools dropped or started to drop their emphasis on combat skills in deference to applications more appropriate to peacetime pursuits. And this erosion continued into the Meiji period and thereafter accelerated following the decline of the samurai warrior class and the increasing westernization of Japanese culture. This subsequent evolution of jiu-jitsu into modern Budo, where in many cases the primary objective is focused more towards physical or spiritual development, caused not only the loss of accentuation of practical combat methods, but also a significant decline in the knowledge and transmission of kapo methods. And historical records confirm that kapo was a feature of at least some traditional schools of jiu-jitsu, but where they were present, they were primarily taught by kuden, so oral transmission, and therefore by implication they were reserved to higher level students. And it's not possible to know with any degree of real certainty how many of the kapo methods that are still known today have been even authentically preserved as they featured in those older schools, or whether they're simply emerged adaptations or additions to the various martial traditions as they evolved concurrently. It is possible, however, to make some reasonable assumptions as to both the origin and potentially legitimacy of some of the capo techniques by reference to 
the recorded lineage of certain classical schools. And while we don't know with certainty that the presence of capo methods was ubiquitous, there are certainly some good examples to demonstrate that notable traditional jiu-jitsu schools did feature capo methods, including Akiyami Yoshin Ryu, which founded in 1642 and was said to have included 28 kappo techniques and Kyushin Ryu um, founded in around 1558. There's a really interesting book from 1916 called Bokuden Ryu Jujutsu, a record of intensive lessons in jujutsu with additional secret teachings on resuscitation, really catchy title, by Otsuka Nobuyoshi where it's alluded to there being 22 kappo techniques in that particular school. It's not clear, however, whether these methods were present when the school was originally developed, estimated to be sometime before 1571, or whether they were later editions. Either way, I believe that there are enough good indications to tell us that kappo was an element at least in some of the historical, traditional, classical schools and isn't simply a development or phenomenon of the modern era. Now, given the manner in which Kapo evolved over many generations alongside the more well-known combative aspects of traditional jiu-jitsu systems and the nature by which it was transmitted, it's not surprising that there are very few written records for the researcher to consider and assess. Two reasonably good sources that we can look to to try and discover more about Kapo are Kapo Secret Jiu-Jitsu Resuscitation Method or How to Revive the Dead by Yoryu Dojin Matsumoto Yoshino and Jiu-Jitsu Striking and Resuscitation Points by Fujimura Kinjiro. And both of those have been really ably translated by Eric Shahan and I'd strongly recommend you seeking out some of those Uh, copies if you can find them. But it would be false to assume that those texts accurately reflect the Kapo practices as they were practiced before the Meiji era because they were published in 1892 and 1895 respectively. But as a couple of the few available authorities today, they're good indications and they're certainly instructive and therefore any credible discussion about Kapo really could do worse and draw heavily upon their content. What's really noteworthy though is that as long ago as 1892, Yoshino associated the demise in the number of jiu-jitsu schools with the correlating contemporary increase in people dying from drowning or choking. And he was so concerned, it seems, that he almost pleads in his introduction to his book for the heads of jiu-jitsu schools at the time to open up their kapo knowledge beyond the traditional secret transmission methods before it was entirely lost to history. Now we know from this that Kapo was still around in the late 1800s, but what happened as things developed into the 20th century? And there aren't actually that many books available that do more than allude to Kapo's inclusion in the schools of the time. There are some judo manuals, uh, particularly those of E.J. Harrison, where Kapo is referred to, but typically it's mentioned as an esoteric art and 
as being only taught to Dan grade holders or above. So it's clear that in the 1940s and 50s, it was still being practiced, albeit reserved to uh, higher teaching and only taught to senior students. But it's really not clear how many, if any, current senior judoka are aware or teach kapo and whether that's reflective of the kapo of the very, very distant past. The most comprehensive manual on kapo in the modern era is Robert Lasserre's Le Livre du Kyai et de Katsu, published in 1954. And despite the passage of time, it doesn't appear that this work has ever been competently translated into English from French. And where it has been referred to by later authors, the information used is frequently taken from the visual content rather than the text. Lasserre's Kyusho tabulation, anatomical drawings and instructional diagrams do seem to accurately reflect many of the traditional methods recorded in other sources and accordingly for a very long time Le Livre seems to have been accepted as the authoritative work on the subject of katsu in the modern era. Caution I'd say however should be exercised when assuming that Lasserre presents an authentic rehearsal of traditional kapo methods as his overall approach and method when really scrutinized is revealed to be a hybrid of kapo with a generous supplementation from his additional interests and research and experience in yoga and reflexology. And that gives us some distant historical context and a reflection on how kapo was diminishing into the 20th century. Looking at the historical context is one thing, but what did kapo methods actually involve? And when I was doing my research, I found it helpful to break them down into uh, certain categories where there was usually some commonality across schools and written works. Now I found that the methods generally could be categorised into 12 distinct areas where there was usually some common overlap. Uh, by far the largest and with the greatest portfolio of techniques and methods was restoring consciousness after strangulation, perhaps understandably so. And it seems that those are the primary methods that have been preserved and where they are, are still taught within uh, the likes of judo or jiu-jitsu schools in the modern era. But there were also two-person resuscitation techniques there were techniques for relieving discomfort in the testicles, for reviving the breath, for specifically reviving a drowned person. There were bone setting methods included, various methods for relieving discomfort in the head and eyes, the kidneys and the stomach. There were methods, although there is a question mark in my mind as to whether these were truly kapo, uh, for general relaxation. But there were some very specific methods for reviving someone who had been hanged and even references to how to give treatment for suicidal depression. And clearly I'm not going to describe those techniques in any detail in a podcast and I think it would be quite irresponsible to, to do so for fear of people taking it upon themselves to give them a go. But I will try and give a flavour of some of them and particularly how strange some of them seem by our modern standards and approaches. 
So to give you a flavour, let's take Ken Shiho, which is checking for mortality as an example. Now the basis of Ken Shiho is clearly a fairly fundamental thing to determine before deciding whether to deploy other capo methods in a given situation. There's no point trying to resuscitate someone who is categorically dead. But I'll preface the examples of these techniques by stating something which is hopefully perfectly obvious. In the modern world, pronouncing the death of another human being should be left to a qualified medical expert. Traditionally, however, there were three classical Ken Shiho techniques for checking whether a person is dead. The first, squeeze the thumb between two fingers, and if the digit changes colour, that's a good indication that the person was alive. So nothing greatly radical there. Secondly, checking if the pupils of the eyes contract in response to light. Again, no major departure, and in fact something that we still use in the modern era. But the third is to insert a finger into the anus, whereby contraction would be seen as a sign of life. And that does present a fairly vivid picture, uh, particularly as these were said to be battlefield methods. And I'm sure you would be pretty hard-pressed to find a modern medical doctor who was uh, prepared to undertake that kind of examination in order to determine life. Well, I hope that brief introduction to Kapo, the traditional art of martial first aid, has been of interest. And if it motivates or inspires someone to, like me, uh, seek out further information and study to preserve what is largely at risk of being uh, lost to time, then so much the better. But I'll finish with one final point, which is just to be absolutely clear, and I would hope that the intelligent listener of this podcast uh, already gets this. But of course, Capo has now been largely superseded by scientific developments in modern emergency medicine like artificial respiration or CPR. And in fact, that's known in Japanese for those interested as Jinko Kyoku Ho. And it's vital to note that modern methods, especially the immediate intervention of trained emergency service personnel where accessible should always be the primary approach to any emergence health situation involving loss of consciousness or other traumatic injury. So while it is incredibly interesting in my view to look at this parallel side to the combat arts of Budo, the relevance of Kapo today is really only for general interest and for the preservation of historical esoteric knowledge. And Kapo methods should only be used, if at all, as a method of absolute last resort, and certainly only by those with instruction in them from someone who actually knows what they're talking about. If you have an existing or having listened to this podcast developed an interest in finding out more about traditional and classical uh, capo methods, then please do get in touch. I'd really like to hear from you. And the best way to get in touch with me is either by email, which is craig.dixon at budoetc.com. And that's Dixon, D-I-C-K-S-O-N and budoetc, all one word. Or you can always 
DM me on our Instagram account, which is at Budo, etc. And I have run uh, workshops and seminars both in person and online on this particular topic. So if there's enough interest, uh, then again, please let me know and I'll consider doing some ones in the future. Well, that brings this episode of the Budo Etc. podcast to a close. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, thank you, as always, for all of the support, considering that we haven't really um, gone and publicised this uh, particular podcast very much at the moment while we're building content. The response and reception and the feedback has been brilliant so I'm glad that people seem to be enjoying it but of course this is one of those rare episodes where the message is absolutely don't take the subject matter into your own practice without instruction and it really is a case of don't try this at home so thanks for listening thanks for all the support and I look forward to speaking to you in the next episode (music) 